There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Diversifying investments. We've always been told that you can't keep your eggs in the one basket. So we're going to talk about diversifying ETFs a little bit today. But also we're going to talk about diversifying investment brokerage platforms because there's always a lot of questions where people say, I've got this one and I need to move to that one. So should we be diversifying platforms and brokers? We'll talk about that and more today on My Millennial Money. My name's Glenn James and you're with John Pigeon for the My Millennial Property Podcast. We're going to have a great episode today. Thanks for joining us if you're new. If you're an old hand at this, you know the deal. Sit down, shut up and have a listen. John, welcome to the show. You ready to have a chat? I'm indeed. Let's do this. All right. Let's do it. Vassandra said, hello, MMM fam. I'm an absolute novice when it comes to investing. So please feel free to break it down for me as much as possible. I currently auto-invest $250 weekly into Raise, which is the Sapphire portfolio, and I'm happy with it. I don't touch it or look at it. I also invest every now and again in ETFs, the Vanguard MSCI International Index Shares ETF, plus iShares S&P 500 ETF through Sharesies. And full disclosure, Sharesies are about to do some sponsorships on this podcast. I read that even if Sharesies go under, your money and investments are protected, So me being very new to investing, I felt safe to go with sharesies. Now I'm thinking of moving from sharesies to Vanguard. And one of the reasons being I'd be open to a kid's account in Vanguard. Your thoughts and experiences with Vanguards, ETFs, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at auto investing $100 to $250 a week, which might change subject to my personal situation. I mean... Lots going on there. Yeah. Doesn't sound like an absolute novice to me. She's got a few things going on. Yeah, absolutely. This is the cool thing. Like, she's really understanding that there are different ways into the market. Mm. And that's why I thought I'd just have a bit of a chat around this. Now, the Ray's Sapphire portfolio, it's basically a blended portfolio of Australian large cap stocks, which is, you know, the S&P ASX 200, 40% allocation, There's a 13% allocation to Asian large cap stocks. There's 6% allocation to European large cap stocks. There is an 8.5% allocation to US large cap shops. (laughs) To US large cap (laughs) shops. Whatever, going to leave that in. US stocks, 8.5%. And there is Australian corporate bonds of 20%, Australian government bonds of 3%, or 2.9, an Australian money market of 3%. So we'll call it 26% of this portfolio is defensive. Mm -hmm. Now, there is also 5% allocation to Bitcoin. So what we need to know is, if we just do a bit of a 101 educational thing with Raise, Raise is a product and a platform. It's not a brokerage account. So if you sign up and have a Raise account, 
full disclosure, I've also got a raise account. I use it for the raise reward sometimes. What it is, you use the raise app, you get pre-made raise portfolios and they use, you know, they've got a blended portfolio there. And this is what's really cool about these apps for beginners, right? But within that portfolio, they build a portfolio of different ETFs. So I actually think I said um, in the comment in the Facebook group, like, don't overcook it, mm. keep your 250 set up and move on with your life. Yeah. Okay, so that's number one. But number two, as an example, they also invest every now and again through sharesies in the S&P 500 ETF. Now, that current fund, pretty much S&P 500 ETF, IVV is the ticker, is inside the raise portfolio anyway. Right, so it's doubling up. So we are getting a double up. So with raise, with sharesies and with Vanguard, these are platforms, so the money is in custody. If you go to a broker like Selfwealth or Perla, you invest in an ETF direct into the market. That ETF, there's a registry with the exchange, the ASX, and the ASX will say you've bought five units in IVV, John Pigeon. When the money's in custody with Vanguard, with Raise, with Sharesies, at the ASX, it will just say IVV, Sharesies, and then they split it up to all the investors. I don't think it's the end of the world not using a broker mm. and what they call it chess-sponsored. So when you've got a broker like Selfwealth, Perla, Comsec, or E-Trade, your name is on the chess registry. Now, the chess registry is the clearinghouse electronic sub-register system. So that means if the broker goes away tomorrow, whatever, we just allocate another broker as your chess sponsor. You get a HIN holder identification number. But again, once more, because it can be confusing, when you invest through Vanguard, when you invest through, I use Superhero myself, which is another platform. When you invest through Raise, Sharesies, all these platform things, you don't have an individual HIN that company has the hint on your behalf. Which is good. Well, that's right. But the money is in custody. So if the broker goes under, that's all right. Your name's still on the register. So you don't lose money. But if the platform goes under, you don't quote unquote lose the money either because the platform is just the operating entity. Your money is in custody. Right. Now for those who are absolute purists and be like, well, I don't do anything but chess sponsored. I would say to you, if you're going to hang your hat on that logic, you need to set up your own self-managed super fund and buy shares directly because every retail super fund in Australia is not chess sponsored. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. Well, all that aside, Vassandra, I would probably be more inclined to pick one and go with it. Like you can have, the, like I've got my superhero account, I've got my... Uh, raise account, the raise account isn't that active. It's just I use it for the raise rewards and they do roundup, which is really cool. But it's just a matter of picking one mm. and going for it because you are going to have some double up. Yeah. But does she want the convenience of having everything with Vanguard because she wants a kid's account set up there? Like, like personally, we've got a share trading account elsewhere mm. and our Vanguard kid's account, I'm not too fussed that they're in 
separate position. Well, the thing is, Rays have a kids offering as well. So I, I just think it gets to the point, pick one, mm. commit to it and build wealth. Yeah. The good news is regardless, you're putting money aside for investments, not getting spent on crap. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're trying to dissect the rat and just take little millimetres well, from somewhere, the, aren't we? The reason I, in this situation, would prefer the raise over building our own portfolio of Vanguard International and um, the iShares S&P 500, whether you do it on Sharesies or whether you do it on Superhero or Pearl or whatever, the reason I like, particularly for a novice, like self-confessed novice here, um, the writer, is because the portfolio balances everything for you. So every quarter, they might reweight the portfolio. So if that Aussie shares portion has moved up from 42% or whatever it was to 46%, every quarter they'll sell down 4% and put into the rest of the portfolio. So it, it rebalances. Yeah. So you, you will get a better return probably from a portfolio in a box than doing your own thing because there's science behind it. They'll just do it every time. It'll be a smoother ride. It's more diversified than just having your two funds there. So that's what I'll do. And in terms of, you know, moving from Sharesies to Vanguard and all that stuff, look, all these brands, we've worked with Vanguard on the podcast here. We're about to work with Sharesies. Haven't worked with Rays, but I use Rays. Like it gets to the point where it's like, whether it's Toyota, mm. Honda, um, Kia, like Subaru, all quality car manufacturers, mm. all have decent track record, all get you to A to B very well. Yeah. But there are some small little things that each offering might have that suits you better than the bear next door. Yeah, and you'd probably end up at Toyota. <laughs> well, so which yeah. is the Toyota out of all these brands? Who knows? But look, I just think it's great that we are thinking about it and that we are putting $250 a week auto-invested. Correct. And, you know, Raise is a listed company. They're on the ASX, but it's just the operating company that's listed. The assets are kept in custody. And I don't think we want to get into that game of continually chasing our tail, trying to find the next best option. Well, and this is the thing as well. Like if, you, if this person did have a Vanguard account, a Sharesies account, a raise account. <laughs> they've got to do, there's three reports there that they've got to put in with their tax every year. Yeah. So it's how clean do you want your life? I mean, I can't answer that. But in terms of overlapping brokerages accounts, you can do it. In terms of overlapping platforms, you can do it. You can certainly overlap investments because you've got exposure to the IVV through sharesies, but also indirectly through the Ray Sapphire account. She's got kids, so she probably wants to simplify things. Simplify it, pick one. If you want one that does a kid's option, I would be looking at making the move over. Um, but yeah, it's a, just good fodder to talk about. Yeah, good stuff. Well done. Amy Crease, regular in the Facebook group. Thanks for being involved, Amy. She put a poll up. I want to see if John agrees with his poll. What would you do in this situation? I'm a first home buyer who is living with parents. I'm very lucky to be in this situation and meeting with a mortgage broker next week to chat. So what would you do? One, buy a premium block of land and hold for a few years to save for a build. Or two, 
buy a cheaper entry-level property that is lower quality asset to get into the market now. 94% of people said don't buy the block of land. So only 6% of people said buy a block of land, save and hold. What are you doing, John? Mm. Here we go with the mobs or not, huh? So first of all, Amy's going to become a free vester. She's going to, well, provide that she rents this cheaper entry-level property out, uh, she's living at home and investing elsewhere. So that's an awesome strategy, I believe. That's my preferred option for anyone 18 to 25. Maximise your savings and invest in income-producing assets. Now, the whole land versus buying a house, the land generally goes up over time in good locations and expanding locations, no doubt about that. However, when you buy a block of land, it doesn't come with any income. So we need to understand if we're buying a premium block, absolutely love that, depending on its size and its location, uh, if we're holding it for a few years to build, there's holding costs that we need to factor in. And if we can factor in those holding costs and it doesn't affect our cash flow and we can see the upside in that once we build, then I'm actually in favour of that, not over the other option, but I'm in favour of that concept. But just understand that there's holding costs and no income coming in your way. One thing I would do, Amy, is look at that premium block of land and the surrounds and see what's been built around the area and see what they have potentially sold for, if any. And that'll give you a guide as to what your block is worth that you're buying and what it costs to build and then what the end value is going to be to see whether it's a worthwhile investment from a wealth creation strategy point of view. The cheaper entry-level property is the easy, straightforward option where you get rental income straight away. Yeah. I always assume when they say I'm a first home buyer is to buy to live in. Okay. So but, that's but, a that's another level of complexity because you can't live in a block of land. No. Unless you've got a tent or a camper van. Giddy up, baby. But now this is what I'm talking about. Like because so many people's situation is different, mm. we can just make up all these scenarios and chew on it. Okay. So let's run with what I was on about and, yeah, yeah. and they're the both investments. Yeah. yeah. So Definitely, uh, I wouldn't say, I'd say less less risk to go and buy the entry-level property. However, the same dynamics appear. Are we buying in a good location? Are we buying for the right price? And what's the cash flow going to be in the situation over the next few years for that asset that we're buying? If it's lower quality, what do we mean by that? Is it a, is it a one-bedroom apartment, but it sounds like it's got a block of land associated, but it, is it 250 squares? Is it, is it out in way suburbia where uh, that's at um, a real lower socio area? So there's a lot of things that go into making this key decision. But if if it's going to be, on the other hand, something like, that you mentioned to live in, then all of a sudden, if we're buying a premium block and we're building our home on it, and it's in a desired location, that's an A-grade location, and we can handle those cash flow options over the next two years, knock yourself out. Yeah, and that's what 6% of people said not to buy the premium block of, block of land and hold for a few years to save for a build. If it is a home, if we go on the other side that is to live in, and the planets are aligned so you're, number one, comfortable to live at home with your parents, you know, they don't annoy the snot out of you, you don't annoy the snot out of them, mm. It's all good. You might have your own end of the house and all that stuff. So if 
that's got a runway of a couple of years and you're happy to do that, awesome. If, for example, you're dead set that premium block of land area that you want to live in, you know, Amy, young professional perhaps and, you know, got her head screwed on because I've seen her in the Facebook group before. There's a couple, there's just two things to consider. One of them, when you buy a block of land, you only pay stamp duty on the price of the land. So if the land was, I don't know, I'll make a number up, $300,000, you're only paying stamp duty based on $300,000 and also check first home exemptions for stamp duty and with land. Is that still a thing? Yeah, it's still a thing. You yeah. just can't get it on the build. That's right. Mm. So it's usually better, like, you know, stamp, first home buyers crap aside, if there was a block of land and a house next door, the house was worth 600 and the land next door was worth 300. If you bought the house, you got to pay stamp on 600. If you bought the block of land, you got to pay stamp on 300. So that's another thing. Now, if Amy can get the funding, she just has to service a, a loan pretty much. And it's probably going to be interest only for a couple of years. So can you cough up money? And, you know, they say rent money's dead money, but it isn't because you always got to live somewhere. But buying a premium block of land, paying that interest repayments, that could be considered dead money. But if Amy wants to live there and build a dream home, over the next two years, that money is an investment into her future lifestyle if yeah. she's got the money. And if the land goes up in value, they're not making any more of it. That's right. So... A lot of you have heard of my friend, Dirty Mike. They've been on the show before and we should get him back on. But they bought a block of land a few years ago. Then with the intention of parental guarantee when the build started, but by the time the build started and they went to that stage, the land had increased and they could do it without the parental guarantee. So I'm probably a little bit of a contrarian here. I would say... If it works and it is somewhere you want to live at least for the next five years and you do want to build a home, because there's been a lot of people that listen to this show who've built a brand new first home, like it's possible depending where you live, but like I'm doing that, but I'm also setting up the mortgage. Um, I don't know the situation. Well, she lives at home with her parents, so we'll assume that she's not currently in a de facto relationship because she yep. might have said the partner lives with her and the parents. But we just want to future-proof our mortgage setup so if her situation changes, that that house maybe after a few years we can turn into an investment property and never need to sell it. Yeah. And when she mentions that uh, buy a cheaper entry-level property, lower quality, get into the market now, she is getting into the market now buying land because you own that block and any appreciation you see, you'll benefit from. Yeah, the, the only real downside is the holding costs. The income, yeah, or the lack thereof. So, Amy, what I would do if you're looking at going with the 6% um, is to say to yourself or, or reverse engineer and, and look and talk to a mortgage broker and say, look, I'm looking at maybe buy, uh, building something in two years. It might cost me 400000 to build on today's income and my current situation, would I be able to borrow that sort of money if I had this block of land in my own name? 
and then see what the serviceability looks like, see, see whether that's possible because you don't want to look back in two years' time saying, oh, I've, I've actually got no funds to build or the banks won't lend me the money. Um, yes, you could sell the block of land again, but again, that's a cost of doing business. So you, ideally, you'd like to go and um, build and see that project through. I'm in favour of that block of land if the stars align. Mm. Um, I'd love to know what price she's paying for that cheaper entry-level property um, and if she wants to live in it because if she does, she might be living in an undesirable or an area that she doesn't want to live in. Yeah. And the thing is, buy a premium block of land, hold for a a few years and save for a build. So number one, your savings will be less because you'll be servicing an interest-only loan on land. Number two, just check, I don't know, John, if there is an estate do they ever put covenants that you must start by X amount of time and all that crap? Yeah, it's, it's never two years though. Like they'll give you maybe four to five years generally. So yeah, cool, cool. A so, bit of- yeah, so I mean I would be doing that. Like I reckon it's what she wants because if she put it as the first option, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just reckon if the planet's line, go for it. There's nothing nicer than a new house and hopefully in a few years the new home costs have settled and, you know, any other builders that are around have survived and it's it's a bit more legitimate. But yeah. yeah. And you've just got to factor in once it completes and settles, like you said, John, that the whole mortgage can be serviced with your income. Mm. And we don't know what interest rates are going to do, going to be doing. Yeah. But if you need a hand, Amy, reach out. Um, just on property, I saw a comment in another group. I'll keep it anonymous and I've got permission to share it. Looking at getting our fence and retaining wall changed as it's due. I was thinking of using our equity to pay for it. My thought process was it's something that might over time add value to our property. Opinions or advice. Going to talk to the neighbours to see if they want to chip in for the fence to try and reduce what we pay. So properties and fences and neighbours, this has been the cause of great neighbourhood rifts for years. So generally speaking the adjoining fence shared half-half. Now, if you want a nice fancy brick fence with gold plates on it, your neighbor might not want to pay for that. But what you can do, you can get a quote for a garden variety timber fence, minimum cost. Half of that is what they chip in and you cover the rest if you want the premium fence and all that, if you can't agree. So that aside, you know, a retaining wall could smarten up a back or a side yard, like actually really improve, like particularly if it's the back of a property and that's a bit of a slope block and, you know, particularly, you know, this house here where I'm living is on a bit of a hill up the back. Like if they did cut a bit out of the earth and put a retaining wall, you could get a whole other little bit, right? So there is merit there. But what I think, the reason I wanted to chat to you about this, John, I would put this in the same category as... I need to renovate the bathroom. Do we use equity for that or cash flow it? Because I think all roads lead to Rome. I mean, if it was a, how much does, like if a fence was five grand, for example, just a Mm. garden variety fence, you're going halves with the neighbor, two and a half grand each. You're probably not refinancing for two and a half grand. You just save up and cash flow and buy the fence. But retaining walls, what if it was like a 20 grand expedition? Which is common. Absolutely. Like I'm probably 
I'm probably okay doing a, a refi cashing out if the if the equity's there for that type of improvement because it, to me it's in the same category as bathroom or you just save up and cash flow it. I don't know. What do you yeah. reckon? Uh, look, so many – this person doesn't listen to the show. No, probably not. Yeah, okay. So It's as good no, as Reddit. No really. point No point talking to them. But, I mean, if someone's listening sitting in this situation, there's a couple of things to unpack here. Do we use cash or equity? It's our own home, not income producing. Ideally, we wanted to pay cash for that unless we need cash in other areas of our life, i.e. we haven't got an emergency fund or we want to need to upgrade the car, I'd argue that's more important than a new fence that is potentially not ready to be replaced yet. Mm. Because there's sort of this person saying um, it's something that might over time add value to our property. We're not replacing a fence to add value to our property. No, that's just housekeeping. That's just housekeeping. So if it's not knocking, it's if it's not falling down around you, I would leave the fence unless you've got a dog that's getting out or. Oh, and that's what I said. Like if it's like we're doing it and it's wholesale change to the yard and mm. it will really smarten it up and you know it's a thirty, twenty, fifty grand or whatever it is. If you're going to sell it, different story. Yeah, right. No, but the, but also like. We like to live in our homes. Yeah. So it's the same. And that's what to me, it's like, well, the bathroom works, but we live in this house yeah, and we want, want to it freshened it nice. up. So okay. it's, that's yeah. the kind of vibe. All right. So if they're going to their neighbor, in my experience, mm. if they're going to their neighbor with a fence that's in good condition saying, let's replace this fence, the answer is probably going to be? No way. Bugger off. So be prepared to pay for 100% of that fence cost. Mm. If you want to use equity, that's cool. Um, but just look at the list of priorities in your life and see where that sits. Yeah. And I'm probably, it's that thing. It's like we can get house fever when we're looking to buy a house, but we can also get house fever. It's like, we well, want to renovate it just for the boredom or the, you know, you're looking at it. And I get it. Like, yeah. you might just go, look, it's not urgent. Let's just put. $300 away per X per cycle or whatever you do. Yeah. And we just start to get some quotes. Let's get some real data on the table. And that's probably the big one. Let's get some data on the table of what the costs are. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people, they pull that thread and then work out that, oh, that costs 15 grand more than what we thought. So I don't know. I just thought it was good fodder. Hey, one other thing, everyone, if you are interested in buying your first home, buying your first investment property, perhaps refinancing your mortgage in this climate. Next month, we've got a webinar with Rachel Kroon from Sphere Home Loans. She's going to spend an hour or so with everyone talking everything to do with mortgage structures for your first home, first investment property. If you want to refi, parental guarantees for your first home or investment property, all the mortgage things. We're going to do some more webinars this year. John's um, few weeks ago, come off the back and did two webinars with buying your first investment property. They were a great success. So if you want to attend a webinar with a quality mortgage broker, just to get some information in order to get your ducks in order, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, and it will be in April next month. All right. We'll be back right after this. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Radio, we're back. The community section of the week. It is brought to you by the team at Sky Wealth. If you want a dedicated financial advisor, the team just do life insurances, income insurances, disability insurances. You've told us this year that the fifth biggest priority is to sort out your income insurance. So that's why we're getting everyone to go to sky.com.au forward slash MMM to book a 15-minute complimentary discussion with one of their advisors. They'll detail the process of what's involved to get your biggest asset protected. And your biggest asset is, John? Your boss. You. You. Your ability to earn income. We asked everyone, give us your best pet hacks. Jack Fan. Play with other people's pets. It's <laughs> a good pet hack. Jonah, call your preferred vet clinic and ask them which insurance companies they normally deal with. Did this recently after the M3 community encouraged me to look into pet insurance. Base your emergency funds per species. For example, dog emergency consultation, 100 to $300. Chicken emergency consultation, I... <laughs> Avian vet. Avian vet. Avian vet. Uh, minimum $1,000. For this reason- Is my, that via cock up? <laughs> my pet emergency funds are separate and my chicken slash duck account is more cashed up. Oh, what a quack. Um, <laughs> Carla says, purchase food in bulk through shop back end or cash rewards, pet balm, pet circle, pet stock when there's a sale and increased cash back. I got over $700 back last year doing this. Holy dooly, I spent about $250 a month on food and it saved about the same. Do you reckon that's pet food or normal food? <laughs> I don't How know. much do you spend on that dog that barks for every podcast we record? <laughs> 
Harry. He's got a name. Right. Yeah, no, it's not cheap, the good stuff anyway. But I, I do know the owner of Pet Stock, so that, that sometimes helps. Uh, Vanessa, Pet Circle is cheaper than Pet Barn, but Pet Barn will price match Pet Circle products if you buy in store game changer. This is going around in circles, all this. <laughs> Laura Jane, brush their teeth. It literally takes a minute a day but can save thousands and it's so easy. Do you know I woke up the other morning and one of Harry's toenails was sitting next to our bed. So oh. it had fallen off in the night. It was so random. Gosh. Um, Sophie Armstrong, gone next level. Open your pet a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> As an over-enthusiastic dog mum, I was buying a toy or extra treat every time I bought pet food or went to Kmart and my dog bucket was being way overspent without realising. Now I transfer a set weekly amount to cover food, training, routine vet bills, physio visits, grooming, vet behaviour visits, <laughs> mess to avoid overspending. Get pet insurance unless you're considering adopting a very old dog where in major surgeries or procedures might be weighed off with a quality of life decision. Health emergency fund. Wow. Sophie, passionate I, dog I'm owner. I'm to all these pet stuff. I didn't know I had a, a vet behavioural visit. I might take John to that. Um, <laughs> gosh. Um, look, we're going to talk a little bit about the whole pet insurance um, after this segment. but um, I could imagine you brushing a dog's teeth. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm, I'm brushing his little teeth and his little legs moving. Uh, but hey, there you go, um, pet hacks. Well, the, the biggest one for me there is have an emergency fund. That's a good hack. And um, I reckon the cash back, cash reward stuff. Yeah, you can get some easy wins, can't you? It just keeps you loyal to that uh, company. Mm. Mm. Katie Allen said get pet insurance. Uh, they balked at $1,500 a year. Um, ours caught a nasty gastro bug last week requiring hospitalization and the first night alone was $1,500. Only had to pay 20% of that. So there you go, pets, am I right? Thanks to Sky Wealth for helping us with the community segment of the week, sky.com.au forward slash MMM. I would also say get you insured before you spend money on your pet insurance and we can talk about that right after this segment. Radio. So I did want to talk about pet insurance today and I was going to talk about it at the top of the episode, but I forgot. And then the segment then reminded me. So what's your view on pet insurance and particularly your household for Harry? Yes. Well, we don't have it is the first part of this. Yeah. Why don't we have it? Maybe life admin's got in the way and we haven't done much research around it. I, I'm a bit like the the owner that brushes the teeth, right? We try to keep a healthy dog, mm. feed it correctly, um, keep it healthy as much as we can and uh, hopefully things look after themselves. But I, don't, I, I think it's a good idea for people that want to control their, the variables in their life because trust me, we've been to the vet a few times with Harry and it does add up. Um, the thing that struck me was the benefits you get versus the cost mm-hmm. of pet insurance. So maybe I was looking or barking up the wrong tree there, but maybe there's better pet insurance out there than what I was looking at. But uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? For me, pet insurance is the only financial product insurance in people's lives where I probably say, if you want to get it, factor it into your budget, pay for it, get on with your life. Now, 
does that mean you don't have an emergency fund? Nope. Does that mean you don't have a separate savings account for doggy and caddy and chicken <laughs> stuff? I mean, whatever your quote unquote pet is, you've just got to adapt your spending plan. So for me, I've got a boat fund. Every week I put a little bit of money in there. The boat's down the road at the moment getting the um, getting a custom awning like cover made for it and the front bow cover fixed. When they say, Glenn, come get the boat, I'm just going to transfer the money from the boat fund over to my transactional account and pay for it. So that's no different with the petty stuff. What I would personally do is have an emergency fund and my emergency fund is three to six months worth of expenses. It's a bit more than the average bear, but I want a higher emergency fund and I would probably take the risk myself. But if you want to pay for it, the only thing I'd probably say is, like the listener said, the only thing I crap on with, with your pet insurance, you want to make sure you get it while they're young and healthy. Mm, yes. And then also talk to your local vet and ask them which insurance companies pay claims mm. and what insurance company is generally best suited for ducks and chickens <laughs> and what's yeah. generally suited for cats and dogs. Yeah, they're very much an emotional prize, the, the pets. They're, you're going to do, I think anyway, you're going to do everything in your powers to A, keep them alive and B, have them live as long as possible. They're, they're like your kids. Mm. Well, and the thing is like I'm pretty sure I set up child insurance for your kids. You did? Yeah. So like John's kids, I think each child's insured for 200 grand. And the reason... Without revealing personal details. Oh, we're not doing that? <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, it's only because that's the maximum. Is it? Yeah. And it's not that expensive. And if you do want to chat about child insurance, go to sky.com.au forward slash MMM, book in, have a chat with them. But just, you know, I've pulled that thread, so I might as well explain. Child insurance, what it covers is if a child dies or is diagnosed with a significant health issue. I'm talking cancer. Terminal. Terminal, like wild stuff, like the worst thing you could ever, ever think of. Mm. And, you know, I don't know how parents go on after losing a kid. Like, I don't know. It's half the reason it's I'm gun shy. It's like, oh, I don't know if I want to have a kid because if something happened to it, I don't know if I could actually function. Mm. So, and the reason for the child cover is if a child um, is very ill there's a lump sum of money that can go to the parents and they can take time off work to be with the child and care for the child. Can you, out of box, mm. but can you claim trauma insurance as an adult as well as the kids? No. No. No, but like, so for example, your your own trauma policy and income insurances that I set up for you, mm. each of them have a built-in $10,000 child cover. Right. So, you know, if something did happen to one of your kids there would be $10,000 available from Amy's trauma, 10000 from your trauma, mm. 10000 from your income protection. So you've kind of got free child insurance of $30,000. Yeah, okay. But so all that, like we insure our kids, quote unquote. Do you insure your pets? Well, it's really up to you. Mm. I'm thinking if you're just starting out with the money journey and you don't have a strong emergency fund and you've just tuned into my millennial money and you're like, oh, We've got a really good income here. We need to get our house in order. You might just decide until we build our emergency fund up, 
we're going to get pet insurance. Yeah. I'm actually going to put a line in the sand and go and check out some pet insurance really? companies now because like, cause I said before, um, you do everything to keep your, well, in our case, mm. Harry alive and make him live as long as possible. So if the vet came to me today and said, look, he needs surgery, it's going to cost five grand, I'd have no hesitation. Mm. If insurance helps with that, then we've got to weigh up the pros and cons of that. But this is the this is like the the crossover, right? Like there was a comment there that they spend fifteen hundred dollars a year on pet insurance, two years without anything happening, three grand. Yes, that's right, and that's always been my belief up until now. But I'm going to just mm. go and have another check. Well, remember when I lived at my former house? and the dog next door got bitten by a brown snake. Yeah, which is still open to conjecture. <laughs> oh, look, it's a wild story. And if you ever run into me in public or whatever, ask me and I'll tell you the story. But I've said it on the podcast before. They spent 10 grand for the animal mm. and it still passed away. Yeah. Like the trauma of losing a family pet, then having a 10 grand bill. Yeah. The chances of surviving a brown snake are limited. So I don't know, like you've just got to realize there's actually a podcast episode I did just on pet insurance on the My Millennial Daily podcast. It's a 10 minute snippet. Mm. It's exclusive to Spotify. It doesn't cost any money um, to listen to it. But you've just got to like each company won't pay 100%. And you've just got to really look at the PDS and it will say everyday language. So just know that it might not cover all conditions and they're not going to pay 100% and there could be an excess. Speaking of insurance, did I tell you I snapped my bike frame? Yeah, a few weeks ago on the podcast, yeah. So did they they pay for it, the house claim? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it is good. It's annoying though. Mm. I like that thing. Yeah. So in finishing, John, we know that we're in a high inflationary environment. Yes. We're in an environment where we've had over the last year, we'll call it, nine interest rate increases, Mm -hmm. you know, when this comes out, interest rates may have gone up again. So either way, like we know that interest rates are going north. House prices starting to cool off in some areas. Like it's tough out there. I've seen on the news stories of people, you know, 50, 60 people lining up to look at rental properties. Like I actually think for the first time ever, just from all the stuff that I've seen, and it's been tough for a long time, but I think now there's an actual housing crisis. Yeah, defined in two sections, Mm. housing affordability and rental rental availability. And affordability. And affordability, yeah. Which availability leads to affordability. Correct. So what are you seeing out there, John? Look, I'm not a person that listens to the media per se. I'll look at the research, what's happening through different data points um, and form my own assessment of it, as well as obviously we're on the ground in a lot of areas around the country. So we get to see firsthand what's actually happening. And there's definitely not blood on the streets. We've, as you said, nine interest rate rises. Some banks have had 10. Um, is There's still a very much a balanced market. Now, what we mean by balanced is there's just as many buyers as there are sellers and there's very limited stock on the market in most areas that we're looking at the moment, okay? So take Perth, for example, days on market are very short, 
right? Um, things are moving pretty quickly over there. Ipswich in um, in Brisbane or out of Brisbane, again, uh, stocks moving really quickly there. As always, good stock will always move quicker than ordinary stock, and that might be inferior location or inferior type of property. The vacancy rates are still at extremely low levels, so 1%, maximum 2%. If you're in an area at the moment or researching an area where vacancies are, are 4%, get the hell out of there because right. it's... To buy as an investment or to yeah, buy to live? Well, probably both, but more so as an investment because there's an undersupply of housing, a fundamental undersupply in mm. all areas of the country. And, and when I say all, I literally mean... 99% of the population, mm. there's an undersupply of housing wherever you go. Small country towns, large regionals, capital cities, even in high apartment areas like Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, CBDs, vacancy rates are, are down as low as housing vacancies like your 1% and 2%. So even all of that supply has been soaked up from the extreme oversupply in 2017. But the crazy thing is it's not getting any better anytime soon because in a post-COVID world with migration starting to pick up again, yes. international students coming in, with international workers coming back in, it's not getting yeah. any easier. So no. my question is, you know, in 2020, for example, you may have said, oh, just be careful with apartments in Brisbane and Melbourne. Mm. Has that changed to buy, to live in? Back on the migration part. Yeah. There's over a million people returning back to Australia post-COVID. Mm. So that's a huge number. Now, not all of them buy as soon as they get back, but they definitely need to rent or they definitely need to live with someone. Mm. So that's, again, not going to help with the, uh, the demand issue. In respect to low vacancy rates in that sector, the apartment unit sector, I'm always a tread with caution. Mm. And I'm that's coming from someone that owns an apartment, that's owned units in the past, to understand that they can quickly become oversupplied in a short period of time. And the WA Premier Mark McGowan has announced this week that they're on this mission to provide affordable housing, which is basically going to rezone a lot of suburbs in Perth, mm. which is great to be able to, uh, do that and to be and to hopefully bring prices down. But I think what that's going to do is the good houses will still remain, the prices will still remain. They'll be incentivizing developers to get their zonings through a lot quicker, which enables more supply. Mm. The question is, will there be an oversupply because of the more housing? Is the concern over there when Perth, their population growth is not massive year on year? So I've got a question for you with apartments and particularly here in Newcastle, lots of apartments going in around the um, harbour and all that. I've got a friend who owns an apartment <laughs> um, on the harbour. Mm. I've had it, you know, a couple of years. It's done well. Mm. In terms of exposure in an area, would you suggest it'd be better for me to sell that apartment, put the proceeds into a house deposit that I'm going to buy and live in? So that friend turned out to be you. Pretty much. <laughs> well, yeah. thankfully I had a good buyer's agent. And yeah. w when you buy units or apartments, they've got to be unique. They've got to have something that not everything else has got. Mm. So they've got to have views or they've got to be in uh, 
amazing locations that can't be replicated. Mm. And that's an example of what yours is essentially. In that small pocket, they can only fit so many in there, right? So you've got to... And so you can answer, put your head out the window and look down the harbour. Correct. Yeah. So that's not going to change. No. And we've, we saw that before we built, right? So uh, the answer is no, you're not, not selling it. Mm, okay. But uh, getting back to the whole what are we seeing out there, fixed interest rates come off in the next six to 12 months for for majority of Australians. So that will be a point where uh, there'll be more hurt now, mm. will that, again, see blood on the streets? Well, that depends on how many of them need to sell their property at that time. The thing is that I believe will prevent a lot of this blood is they can they know when that period's going to end and they have been forecasting this for some time because they know that finite date. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of uh, buyers sitting on the fence waiting for, as I said, the blood to appear. And they might be surprised that when they decide that interest rates are level and the, the war might have calmed down and, and everything's normal again, they come back into the market and prices have already shifted. Yeah. And what we are going to do next month, I've got an episode booked around um, affordable housing with someone who's doing something really cool. And I got off the phone with this person and I don't usually pre-chat with mm. guests and in interviews, but I really wanted to just get this person's story and after the phone call I hung up and I called Rach Chow in you know our producer here and I said oh I've just had the most wild wholesome story chat with this guy Mm. and I can't wait to get him on the show just his story of where he's come from and what he's doing now to help solve the housing crisis and what he's personally doing with affordable housing it's wild. And you've got a podcast for My Millennial Property. Talk to us about what you're doing there. Yeah. So I'm interviewing a lady who runs a basically a homelessness center um, that puts the homeless into basically housing in uh, throughout Victoria and fast becoming Australia-wide. Yeah. So It's a very similar story to the guy I'm interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's over on My Millennial Property. So we are both acutely aware of how tough it is out there. And we're going to have these conversations around affordable housing. And, you know, online and in Facebook groups, it is such a rage bait type topic when you are talking about investing and all that stuff. But for me, it's such a government problem as well. Like the federal government say stuff, well, no, no, it's the state governments need to release more land and all that stuff. So Yeah, totally. It is totally the government's fault. Mm. Yeah. And and again it's yeah, we could dance around this all day, but they make more incentives for people to invest mm. that creates more housing. It's either that or governments create more housing themselves. Mm. But they can't do it at a quick enough rate. Like there's they're missing the mark by about 10,000 houses per year annually. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a real problem and and we just hope that um when we do these episodes on affordable housing, if you are an investor, and you want to buy and build wealth, my encouragement is can you chill out for a little bit and not be such a capitalist pig and maybe consider doing something to help the community? Because you will, if you can afford your house and an investment property, trust me, you'll probably be fine. Mm. But there's people out there literally who do not have a house. There is people out there who are trying to buy their first property or rent 
but I'm probably more of a socialist capitalist almost. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just, busy. well, I'm just not, you so, know, greed ain't good and yeah. capitalist pew pew. It's just, it gets a bit disgusting, but yeah, it does. I just want everyone to calm down. And I'm even looking with one of my properties, the next tenant that goes in, I'll be looking at um, maybe doing something around the affordable housing thing in that um, spot as well. So, Like they say, don't make the dinner table stronger, make it longer. Love that, John. Mm. We will uh, end it there. So thanks for listening. Hope you've had a good day so far, everyone. <laughs> and um, well done. make that table longer, not stronger. I'll do both. Okay, bye. See you, John. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.